scary movie. Well, sometimes that is better. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. Hey, Elmers. We're back. It's Rob. It's Michael. It's Bill. What's up? Hey, yo. And we're here to do 13th and Elm, like we always do, every week, except the weeks we don't. This week is Alien, 1979. It's a great film. Well, yeah, we'll get, we'll into, we'll it. get into, we'll into it. It is a great film, though. It is. Um, a couple, you know, little blurby blurb blurbs. Uh, came out in 1979, Ridley Scott. This was his uh, second feature film, I believe he did. He had some short films before that. He did um, The Duelists in 77, which I've never seen, don't know anything about it. And uh, it's probably at, at least one of the most well-known sci-fi horror movies of all time. Like, even people that aren't horror movie fans know about this film. Not only just know about this film, know about aspects of this film. The Creatures, Sigourney Weaver, like... It's in the collective consciousness of, I don't know, the English-speaking world and beyond that. Uh, it had a pretty big budget, $11 million. It actually started as 4.2, and, um, and they used all of it. Uh, the set is fantastic. The creature is fantastic. Um, uh, written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusset. And Dan O'Bannon also wrote uh, Prometheus and Alien Resurrection, Alien vs. Predator, Alien Covenant, and a bunch of like alien video games, like Sega and that kind of crap. Great tagline. In space, no one can hear you scream. One of the best. Maybe the best. Definitely Besides up Besides 100% medically accurate. I'm glad you said that because I was waiting for my turn to say that. It's probably second best. Second is all best. I could hope to be. 100% medically accurate. Human centipede. If you haven't heard that episode, go back through the annals and uh, check that one out. Let me just get through this, please. Uh, it's rated R for sci-fi violence, gore, and language. Runtime, hour 57 minutes. And it's it doesn't drag. I think the tension is so well-paced that the first hour of the movie doesn't even fly by, but you don't, you don't feel like you've watched an hour of a film. Uh, we'll get into it. But the cast, um, classically known that they, they're all last names, all the, all the cast members, all the characters. And when they casted this, they did not have um, any genders for the characters. So they, they legitimately picked the actor they thought would play the role the best. And Sigourney Weaver ends up being, being the lead. So you got Sigourney Weaver as Ridley. You got Tom Skerritt as Captain Dallas. It's also in MASH, Contact, and Top Gun. Uh, you got John Hurt as Kane. He was in The Elephant Man. I didn't really get too deep into his filmography. Uh, Lambert is played by Veronica Cartwright. 
Uh, Brett is pay- played by Harry Dean Stanton. He was a uh, Repo Man and also the Green Mile. I think he was um, the guy with the uh, the mouse. Toot toot. Toot toot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ian Holm, of course, Bilbo from all the Lord of the Rings movies, among many many other credits. He plays Ash, the science director and main. Well, maybe not main antagonist, but definitely an antagonist. <laughs> And uh, Yafit Koto plays Parker, who's the kind of mechanic uh, slash um, tech, who's also a great a great character. Um, I didn't really get too much into the uh, trivia and and this that the other. Uh, I feel like this film is um, gigantic as far as its weight and um, and its uh, influence. So and it's also a longer film, and there's a lot to discuss. So we'll just uh, we'll just go ahead and get into it. Um, you guys want to do a quick little <coughs> cover of it, or just or just start discussing? Um, I don't know. It's kind of up to you. But if you got a, uh, a quick little synopsis you want to run through, go ahead. I got some fun facts, but I'm kind of I'm going to save the meat of my my commentary for just uh, kind of talking about some of the highlights of my viewing experience. Because honestly, this might as well have been my first viewing of yep. this movie, if you can believe it. I haven't seen it, like I said, out of last week in probably like 20 years. And I've anything that would have been considered a major plot point, I was 100% blind to in this viewing, honestly. so I'm jealous of that, to be honest. Dude, we'll get into it. Whoop. But like, you guys already know what I'm going to say. No idea. Didn't see it coming. Okay. No, I, I, I hadn't seen this movie in ooh, five years at least. It was before I before I was up in y'all's neck of the woods up here. Um, and I remember the, the broad strokes, um, but uh, a lot of it. Uh, and also just, you know, we've, I've, watched, I've watched a lot more horror. I've, I've eaten a lot more of these films, and my palate has, uh, has grown and developed um, even before we started this, but definitely after we started doing this podcast. Um, it's... Uh, it's pretty good in my opinion. It holds up quite well for for its age, which is something we can't say about all horror movies from the 70s. But uh, the synopsis is essentially it's it's a bunch of they're kind of cowboys. They're they're like mercenaries who are contracted out by some company. I don't even think they name the company in the film. It, yeah, they, they, they just call it the company. They do in in pre or for future films, especially Prometheus. You kind of get more into because it's like an origin story and everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they're they're contracted out. They're carrying um, a ton of uh, mineral ore, and they're on their way back to Earth. And they get woken up by the automated, you know, autopilot by mother. By mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all kind of out of it, and they're like, well, you know, we're not home. Like, what the hell? Uh, they get a, a distress signal, uh, and they have to go per their contract. They have to go investigate it if it could possibly be intelligent life, which. Right. I, <laughs> You don't have to really square that with anything because this is some... T- I don't even remember where the year they say that it is, if they even do say the year, but this is clearly like so far advanced that they have hypersleep, which is a which trope that might have been established in this film, but definitely was popularized by this film. Um, and uh, they go down to the planet. They, they land poorly. The ship is injured or damaged. I guess it's not actually injured. It's not a, it's not a biomechanical ship. Um, and they have to you know, fix it. And in the meantime, they send out a crew to go investigate this distress signal. They find um, an alien spacecraft with a fossilized giant alien, which 
looks familiar if you've seen the Prometheus film. Yeah. Have you have you seen that? Have you seen Prometheus? Yeah, Michael? I've seen Prometheus. Did you like that? I like it a lot, but I heard it's it's pretty polarizing from what I've heard. But so for me, we don't we won't talk about this. Having a time, uh, having not really had like a fresh or viewing or really even an understanding of Alien in my mind, just knowing that it was from like a, a continuation or kind of like a predecessor. I pretty much viewed that as a standalone movie. Now, I've seen Alien before, and I've seen Aliens before. I don't think I've seen any of the other movies. I don't even think I've seen, like, Alien vs. Predator. So I, don't, I didn't have a deep understanding of the lore. Um, that being said, I think that might have made Prometheus more enjoyable when I watched it because a lot of the people who really do like Alien and super geek out about it, I heard didn't like it as much. But I thought Prometheus was a good movie. I do, too. I mean, I like Alien a lot, too, but... I, I don't I don't know if I would consider myself a super geek on it. I'm sure there's some continuity errors and stuff in there that I wouldn't have known or cared about. But anyways, um yeah, I know we're at we're at the other planet right now, but I do I do love how this movie starts, right? The oh, um just the all the quiet the shots of like the real long hallways, like the set direction in this movie is awesome. Um it's like six or seven minutes until like a single word is, is I think, said. I think it's five minutes and thirty seconds or, or around there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of my one of my favorite um, horror movie openings for sure. The long, quiet shots of the hallways are awesome. Very Star Warsy. Very, very Star Warsy, and um, it, yeah, it, it it looks lived in. This is not some shiny, polished spaceship. These, right. Man. You know, th- th- this has age and dirt and grime, and these. And these I mean, it's these used, people. It's, I mean, it's like a taxi ship. What they're doing is they're transporting a shit ton of. I don't even remember, but like I mean, a material. It's it's, it's it's mineral ores. I think is what they describe it as. Yeah. Um, I've actually got it written down here. Crew seven, cargo refinery processing twenty million tons of mineral ore. Course returning to Earth. Twenty million tons. Um, it is in very much not only on the inside. It is a ship. It is very much like a cargo ship. You know, like a yeah. big container ship essentially. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the people that are working it are, you know, there is a science director, Ash, who's played by Ian Holm, who's on there. And I guess that's part. And we'll get into like why he's there later. But um, everyone else is either like former military or like like kind of uh, blue collar. Like you know, Parker mm-hmm. and um, uh, Brett. Brett are the two kind of mechanics. Uh, and then everybody else is sort of. Whatever they're they're cowboys essentially. Yeah. Um, not but they're also very much a crew. This is not a collection of like rag ta- uh, ragtag individuals. Like they all have a job and they all perform that function on the crew. You know what I mean? It's like True. you have the yeah. mechanics. You have they're I sailors. Mean, really, Ripley's character warrant officer is kind of the most ambiguous, I guess. But yeah, you have a science director. You have the crew captain. You have the first mate. You have the navigation specialist and stuff. So I mean, they're clearly assembled under like um, under the assumption that they are going to perform a professional task. I mean, obviously they're employed. They're not just mm-hmm. out there um, like renegades without a cause. Well, no, yeah. And, and Dallas has been on like what multiple missions mm-hmm. uh, for this company with uh, the same science director and previous re- to Ash pre- previous to Ash yeah. who replaces them like two days before they they set sail I guess if you'd call it um, but I, yeah, I I couldn't gather if they were like legitimately like they were the miners or they were I think they're because they, he says like this is not a rescue ship this is a commercial ship yeah. right um, but not only like you were saying Bill is the intro fantastic uh, beyond that like the first the first few minutes once they wake up after hypersleep which mm-hmm. is a fantastic scene um, 
they, it's a lot of great exposition where things are shown instead of being told directly. Like there's dialogue, but they don't really, they, they kind of touch on like some of it, but a lot of it is like you kind of get the, um, uh, the group dynamic by watching them eat and mm-hmm. they're kind of talking asides about like, you know, oh, what's, you know, we're halfway, it's like 10 months, you know, they're like they're, they're, there is stuff that's peppered through, but it doesn't feel like information dumps. Yeah, yeah, it, it comes up very organically, and 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 part of that is if you if you saw looking into this, a lot of the dialogue was actually just improvised, that they were kind of just told, you know, kind of basic like what to talk about, and then they just kind of formed their lines off of that, which I think was great for the story because it does make it feel like a a real crew working together, like the way they speak to each other. Not everybody really likes each other. The, a lot of the dialogue seems very organic. I wish that they would do more of that. in cinema i wish that actors had the ability to act and find their character because no matter what you say especially in in horror too i feel like it's more of a thing in other genres it almost seems like but yeah especially like i would say like television comedy does it a lot Um, but when you allow actors to like exercise the medium that they have dedicated their lives to i feel like we as viewers get a more genuine sense of it and like you are taken to places that the actors themselves didn't even know that they were piloting you to which we'll talk to about it obviously i'm sure there's one very iconic scene that everybody knows that we'll discuss um but that was you know largely not only unscripted but unknown yeah by most of the actors actors involved in it um and it that's such a good scene and i don't think it's any accident that the uh the talent involved was genuine in their reaction there and mm-hmm. I I don't know this movie does take a lot of boxes we'll get into it and I just want to touch on this very briefly and not get too much into it before we get further along the intro before they're like panning through the ship and everything which looks like a dirty submarine like right there's a lot of piping and everything yeah um, the very beginning intro with the uh, the, the the title being slowly so built good. up so oh, fucking so cool. good yeah that so whole scene yeah. is good. And I know you said we're not going to get into this long and we're trying to get to the plot synopsis. We haven't even really encountered what happens in the eggs. But um, this whole five and a half, six minutes does such a good job. This is, this is art direction. This is cinema. This is utilizing the medium. And it is painting the backdrop of how isolated they are in this oh. huge expanse. You know, yeah, the music is so good. Um, we'll talk about a lot of this, but for me, my favorite parts of this movie are set design, sound, music. I mean, it's almost everything outside of the characters and the story, which is incredibly strong and well-performed. And I'm not criticizing that, but we have such such palpable backdrops painted in those first few scenes mm-hmm. just because you know you get that crawl like we were talking about how lived in the ship feels how much yeah. utility the ship like it doesn't feel like an empty vehicle and i'm not even just talking about the spaceship i mean like just the idea that oh look at this future tech sci-fi trope that we're gonna put in here because i mean with the exception of like There's a little bit of that but for sure kind of but none of it feels like it's simply put in to be put in it all feels yeah, yeah, like yeah. it has utility absolutely and honestly you got to think too 1979 this predates a lot of what might later become tropes because like up to this point what do you have on like a good like a well-produced scale you have star wars 
Close Encounters of the Third Kind out at this time, I think? Mm, no, I later. Couldn't I couldn't tell you. I think it's 80s. Let's look. But anyway, yeah. So this, I mean, this is one of the first movies that really does this. Um, so I don't know. I, I love it. One thing I I do love and also hate about this film, they are constantly smoking cigarettes inside a spaceship, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. And also so seventies, but also they're they're dirty sailors, they're cowboys, like they're not. Yeah, and the ship you know, is huge, and like there it is in the future, they'd have a way to scrub the air. They can have fucking flamethrowers in there, so of course they have to. Absolutely. Right? It was a big. It was a, a big enough ship that obviously it doesn't ruin anything. But I was like, there's no way, like two fucking people to like. Because you have fuck, what is his name? Um, the main, the main like, mechanic. Oh, uh, and Parker. Then, and then yeah, Brett and then and the other guy, like those two guys, to take care of that whole thing is mm-hmm. insane to me. And of course, it, they do a fine job. Well, like, you know, like like real in ma- their hand, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's a. I think they said that with the load, it would have to be. It's like a two mile long ship. Yeah, no, it's and they don't they don't and seem they have to two have there everybody's walking on foot. There, there's no like you know rail system or exactly. anything. And and speaking of those mechanics, I love when they you know the ship breaks down once they land and they're talking on radio and like, well, how long would it take to fix? And uh, I think Brett says like 15 hours and Parker says 25 hours. Like yeah. immediately after that, it's like yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, and man, all the food on the table. Like I love that scene. But it seems like everyone's just eating like breakfast cereal out of uh uh like plastic tubs and stuff. Yeah. Like what what are what are they eating after you've been asleep for who knows how long? Sugar cereals. Yeah, Sh- grain, Kellogg's, General Mills, Frosted yeah. Flakes. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> Not more than good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move on, while it's still relevant, 1977, Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's. Crazy! I love that movie. Um, and I th- all this comes off the you know the success of Star Wars and also Star Trek to some, you know, a lesser extent, and the space opera, or the horror space opera, uh, big money, and and kind of the I don't know. It was right after like what this is 15 years after, um, the moon landing. Uh, it would have been 10 years. Yeah, okay. 69. 69. Right? So yeah. yeah, so 10 years. Um, so Americans fascination with space and space travel is, is at an all time high yeah. at this point. They might, um, maybe they filmed the moon landing in the same, at the same lot. Well, no, no. It, the That's what you mean, right? We haven't been to the moon. It's all staged. No, no, uh, uh, David Lynch, uh, directed it, but, 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 but he, he required it to be shot on site. So they had to actually go to the moon. Yeah. The sounds during that would have been way crazier if. If David, David Lynch, Lynch was doing it, it would be nonsense. <laughs> it would be hot nonsense. Good, but hot nonsense. Um, anyway. I do love that, like, it's not our system. <laughs> it's like, we don't care. We got to investigate it. Um, you, you've got uh, a bunch of people that are in a highly, you know, specialized spacecraft. They're traveling thousands of light years. There's hypersleep. There's all this. Did you guys get the feeling that alien life had already been discovered or that that's why it was in the contract is because they had not yet come across extraterrestrial life? I think it was definitely had been discovered at this point. It's kind of the impression I got. Like, I feel a, that that's how they're getting the technology. B, they're not really um, apprehensive about the idea of encountering intelligent life. It's just that it might be so few and far between as things might be when you travel mm-hmm. through fucking hyperspace that um, the opportunity can't be passed because you don't know when you're going to get something else. They, they did seem pretty nonplussed when they like find the alien skeleton in the, you know, once they're in there. Yeah, it could um, have been way more shocking. 
for sure. But yeah, and I mean, yeah, there's like, things oh, that wow. we learned later, I, I say would definitely mean that, yeah, they were aware of at least some kind of life. But yeah, so they find in the wrecked ship. Um, well, they, they, after the they land, dude. right? Yeah. And they fuck everything up. Yeah. Uh, and they get kind of a readout that's like, oh, it's a volcanic rock, and it's it's. Um, yeah, they get like the atmospheric the, pressure. The and, atmos- the, and, and, the, and it's like enough carbon and shit. enough carbon dioxide to like be toxic, but not like you know you're gonna die immediately kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then they get to the alien ship, and they're like, oh, have you seen anything like this? Like, no, never. Or I can't do an Ian Holmes impression. Um, that was spot on. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. I don't know what you mean. Uh, and then they get to it, and man, at how vaginal is this film? It's this film. more vaginal and phallic than I remember. Um, but apparently, that's Geiger's thing, baby. Most definitely. Um, which I didn't have time because I did read like a little bit about it. I wanted to look up more stuff that he's designed, but I've heard that that um, vaginas comes he's vaginas <laughs> comes yeah vaginas comes it's not ne- something you never experienced, experienced. It's like <laughs> okay so it's like the georgia o'keefe of of set design of, of horror sci-fi of horror sci-fi um but yeah no i read that um that that's a common theme in his work so i wanted to look into more of the other shit that he's done i mean uh, they walk into the entrance or whatever yeah. which is cl- clearly looks like a uterus or the vagina. whole ship looks like a cervix. They're climbing through it. It's wet. You can see like the ribbing. It looks like the inside of a blood vessel. Oh, it's a wet movie. And they're walking through this, and it. And not only that, like the the ship is shaped kind of like a crescent moon. Mm-hmm. And they're walking through all this and seeing all this stuff, and they they're literally going through fallopian tubes and find a bunch of eggs. Like you couldn't yeah. get more. You couldn't get more <laughs> explicit. Well, and they also entered through a vagina. Yes. Like the vaginal. The vaginal port, right? I mean, that's like not even like. Veiled, and I think it's actually also been a- explicitly expressed by mm. Geiger and uh, mm-hmm. Scott that that's what they were mimicking. That's definitely what they were doing. Um, a quick little fun fact about this: you mentioned it in the very opening of the podcast, but uh, what was the budget? Eleven million. And what was originally four point something? Four point yeah. two. Okay, did you guys get to the this point in your research where it was it four point two? It was just Instantly doubled. Because After they saw his stuff, right? Geiger and Scott had uh, done some storyboarding and had uh-huh. uh, some panels drawn up um, what the concept was, and they ended up just saying, well, like, we got to yes. bump this budget now. I want to see yeah, I, I want to see those storyboards. So they're just like, okay, yeah, double uh, it. I think, they were, I think a lot of what he did was actually published in like yeah. a, a, a famous magazine. I can't remember. I didn't actually yeah, write down it, the name of available. it. It's available. But could you yeah, imagine? I mean, cool. also you got to remind yourself, it's so easy for us to forget because of like – our age and everything um, and how synonymous Wrigley Scott has been with this type of work and through the entirety of our lives. But this was a second feature film. And this dude had mostly an unknown talent and uh, he just came up with some crazy ass ideas and the major studio was just like, we're going to just throw cash at you. I mean, they knew they, they knew what they were sitting on. Yeah, and, and eleven million back in nineteen seventy nine was far far more buying power than than what it is now. It's probably I don't I don't know the exact inflation, but it's probably close to like one hundred fifty or two hundred million dollars, yeah. which uh, is still not doesn't even really tell you how much because everything was practical effects. Mm-hmm. You cannot pay humans that little to make what they did back then, but nowadays you just yeah. can't like it because computers are so much easier and because practical effects have become so much more expensive and because it's a dying art because it's not used as much for all those other reasons, um, 
realistically, like this this film holds up in my opinion, and also it would probably cost half a billion dollars to do this now. It, I don't know. Maybe Bring maybe, maybe back that's practical effects. They are. Please. They are. Bring them back. Um, another thing about this, which I love and also hate, and it's so seventies, is they go into like the mother controller. Dallas goes in like the mother control room. It is so many flashing lights. Dude, yeah, that's what that's exactly what bright. I was thinking of when um when he was talking about how like everything was there for a purpose, blah blah blah. But yeah, that room is so goofy. It, it, and I could not get over um all the keyboards too that yes. literally would just like fucking like wing ding and you just slam on a couple of them and then these like fully foreign prompts and stuff are just coming up and I'm like, why? That said, I do love how they are basically at one point Scorny's reading binary. Yeah. A lot of it is cool. like essentially like what you see in the matrix where it's like green data and sort of glyphs and able to read this. And I don't know if they started this trope, but this is the first time that I've seen it basically. Um, as far as like being able to decode instead of having just, and it, there are scenes where there's like straight up English typed out, like kind of mm-hmm. a command prompt, mostly when they're in the, the mother control room, room. whatever that is. Uh, and also like the kind of, uh, <laughs> They're not um, like vacuum tubes, but there's these sort of like see-through plastic um, chits or, or cards that they have to like insert into this kind of switchboard sort of thing, yeah. um, which again is like a, a product of the time. You know, it's the 70s, so you only have so much to work with and you have to display this on film. Um, but a lot of this stuff is very, very 70s, unsurprisingly, <laughs> being made in 1979. Um, I do like uh, that... Uh, the transmission, you know, it's like every 12 seconds and they need to decode it. Um, and even at this early point in the film, you can get a weird feeling off of Ash, Ian Holmes' character, the science director. Mm-hmm. He is not evil, but like he's definitely hiding something and is and seems to have his own designs. I don't know. I'm, you guys had prior knowledge. I did not. He's stereotypically appropriately scientific. Hold on. When they're out exploring before they come across the ship, there's a scene of Ash in a room that kind of has like an outlook and like a robot chair. And it's very uh, Darth Vader kind of, um, you know, getting his helmet replaced. Mm -hmm. There's no light going on. And it it just, maybe it is that I had prior knowledge, but it has a very mm, like foreboding feel to it. Not that like this guy is evil, but it's like this guy is not trustworthy. I don't trust any of my crew members. That's probably wise. Um, I love the scene when they come down from the ship and they're walking towards, you know, wherever. They're walking towards the camera, but they're walking towards the alien ship. And mm-hmm. you can see the bright lights, the floodlights from their ship. And they're walking in this desert, you know, windy. There's like snow and rock blowing everywhere. And it, it's a quick shot. It's like maybe. A couple of seconds, but the cinematography in this film and the score are just fantastic. And constantly throughout, it's like, man, damn, that's so good. <laughs> I don't know. So we get to the egg. Let's get yeah. to the eggs. Let's get to the eggs. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, we get to the uh, eggs, and I believe egg. I believe <laughs> it is. Um, what's old boy's name? Kane. Kane. Kane is the first really to start rooting around on his own and he starts to look down at the um like there's 
thousands of these things, presumably, but he's uh, gets it up close and personal with one of them. And um, I guess you would say it explodes, <laughs> hatches, I don't know, it kind of propels yeah. itself. It opens up like four ways, kind of, like a right. sphincter. Open, yeah. Or like a tulip. <laughs> or a, a sphincter. Or a Georgia O'Keeffe painting. Right, it opens up, and then, boom, we get our first real encounter, I guess, with uh, Alien, which mm-hmm. is the facehugger. Well, and, and well, bef- you don't before that... don't see quite what goes on, right? Before that, he, he's, like, looking, and you can see it moving, and that's such a great scene. It's oh, such yeah. a great practical effects of it, like, bubbling up and, and writhing inside of the egg. It's like, it's organic life. And, and then, yeah, then, boom, Pop. cut to black. Mm-hmm. Right? This um, the beginning of this film is the best, I believe. Like the first hour and a half, maybe hour, I'd say I don't know. But really, the beginning of this movie is so good, and it moves quickly. Um, and I really like this scene and the following scenes in like the medical bay um, with Ash and then obviously Kane, because what occurs here is that this alien entity. Um, it's like it's the stereotypical like astronaut's helmet you know what i mean it's got the big glass shield Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. over the facial covering and uh so the alien hits the shield first obviously and then by the time you see him again um he's in the medical bay and it's like sunken through the glass shield and it's like adhered to his face acid melted through right right Mm -hmm. that's exactly what it was as we learn and such a great like close-up of them cutting his helmet apart right it's Mm -hmm. like big close-up of it very surgical obviously yeah Mm -hmm. very much but it it, it does it does what it needs to do because i'm terrified really honestly at this point in time and um i can feel like the steady hand and the precision that is being practiced here because, you know, they don't know what they're dealing with. Um, and I don't know, this whole, like I said, the first hour plus of this movie is very tense for me. Um, would and you, it's would, more, go ahead. Would you call it an exercise in tension? I would never describe something in that fashion. Never? I don't think I ever would, no. Hmm. Okay. But, um... Anyway, so this I was one I wanted to get into is Stan Winston and his practical effects work, magic. He's this dude's a magician. This was my favorite scene of the movie, probably in terms of effects, and I would argue that this is really when you get the most of uh, the practical effects uh, in the movie, because a lot of this movie is what you don't see. A lot of this movie is in dark behind steam and clouds and fogs and uh, you know it's hidden by the ship and everything you don't really get a lot of the uh, xenomorph in this movie but you do get a lot of long uninterrupted intimate shots of the face hugger particularly when they remove it from or when they find it removed from his face after it falls from the ceiling and they flip him over and this thing just looks so real to me and i don't know what it's supposed to look like obviously having never seen one but Mm -hmm. The way that it moves, like its little fleshes and flaps, it's like a slimy little writhing mollusk. It's it's it, disgusting. It, it looks like something you would dissect in high school, right? Yeah, or, or like, like a pay horseshoe way crab. too much money at like a Japanese restaurant for to, to eat alive. Yeah. Um, exactly, it is terrifying looking, and it still it 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 makes it makes my legs feel like a little shaky. I don't know what it is. I think 
to me, it looks like a huge spider crab human hand hybrid that is just gripping yeah, with like his elements face. Elements of oysters, and, and, like... and he's going <laughs> to impregnate you. Yeah, with you know, down your throat. This is more. It's also of a that... penis and vagina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this movie is hyperphallic and like super. Like there's a unsettling element of like as a viewer, I feel like in this again, like I I feel really lucky having this was basically my first viewing of this movie. I probably rented it once when I was like ten or something just because it was alien and I like wanted to see it and I was probably fucking around and not paying attention to it and just like wanted to see the chest burst because it's like iconic and like really not paying attention to the movie. Definitely wasn't like old enough to have an appreciation and like dissect it. But this movie for me and what was a, uh, basically my first viewing just had so much discomfort built in through the sensation of me just being like sexually violated through this film because there's so much of like that face hugging through like deep it's like humping him right yes. yeah, yeah you can see it like pulsating and it feels dirty like and but and you like, can hear him breathing the every, whole time it's like the sounds in this film are great but it's like so wet and thumping Dude, it's a wet movie everything in the alien ship is soaking wet and goopy and slimy and gross and geiger obviously you know iconic and his art style was developed far before this movie came out but like bill like you're saying like he does such a perfect way of making this thing look and i, I understand the pun Alien. It looks alien. It really does. It looks otherworldly, and at the same time, it preys on our kind of, you know, the the human reaction of of something from the deep sea or something spidery and yeah. completely foreign. Complete and also a perfect organism. Um, <laughs> but yeah. two things, real quick, and because we've already gone past this, but when they see the dead alien in the alien ship, they mm-hmm. foreshadow like, oh, it looks like it exploded from the inside, you know, from his bones. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also when they're trying to get back, Ridley refuses to let them in because of quarantine procedure. Ripley. R- Ripley, Ripley, sorry, yeah. not Ridley. <laughs> Ridley was the director. Ripley, refu- Sigourney Weaver, refuses to let them in because of quarantine procedure and timeless as ever, you will put the entire crew in danger if you let us in. And who goes ahead and belays that order? Ash. Ash. The little anti-masker. And, she, and well, she's not buying not, his shit not a, at an all. Order. Uh-huh. That's protocol because the direct order does come from Dallas. The well, ship's captain. When I, he's not on the ship. But no, he's exactly. not the captain. Well, exactly. But you know what I mean? This is maritime law. We can get into this. Oh, no. And we <laughs> should because this is like a huge part of the movie. And I think mm-hmm. that this is why, that I, this is why Ash's reveal does stay veiled because there is some gray area if you want to call it that even though it's pretty black and white according to like protocol but like there's a lot of emotion in this and uh, i think that it's not a mistake um what is the navigator's name bertrand lambert 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 is clearly like the vehicle that uh, portrays the audience's emotion in Mm -hmm. the like she's got the she's like possibly the least logical character and the most um like the most emotional for sure and she's just like pleading with ripley like let him in like he's the captain and she's ripley stays really calm and you know she's like we can't do that it's a 24-hour quarantine blah 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 blah, blah. 
Um, and I can see how Ash gets caught up in it. And the one thing that doesn't make sense is that he is the science director or science officer, and Ripley yeah. calls him out on that Later. specifically. She's and, like, and she's like, doesn't sound right since you're the science director. Doesn't sound like science at all. Yeah. Well, blah, 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 bullshit bluster, you know? <laughs> okay, so I think this is a good time to bring this up, and it's a theme that occurs throughout the first half of the movie for sure, and even a little later than that. But no idea who the protagonist is. Really, like the main lead protagonist of this movie. I think that's one of the the cool things about this film is that um, it's not clear cut. Even though you're starting to learn about their personalities and stuff, um, you know, you might make the assumption that maybe uh, Dallas is the... How like, can you not root for that mullet? How can you not root for that mullet? Um, and, and then, like, you know, you get Parker and Brett who seem to be, like, a little bit more relatable. Like, they're kind of like the blue collar. He's wearing, like, a Tommy Bahama shirt. Right? Yeah, that was. Yeah, that I was odd. It seemed out of place. (laughs) But I mean, you you have to remind yourself that when nobody had seen this movie, nobody had seen this movie. Obviously, it's hard even for me. Did you repeat that? I didn't quite get it. Yeah, it's our. It's hard even for me to separate the knowledge that like Ripley is the main protagonist in the film because even having not seen it, I'm familiar with all of its impact on cinema. But it's not defined early on until you start you know, taking people down one by one and you realize, right. oh shit. And I think that that creates a sense of like vulnerability, obviously too. Be- I mean, it's late 1970s, not a lot of female strong protagonists are being portrayed in film even still today, but certainly not at this point. And um, by the time you get down to like the end and we'll get into it, it's, it's terrifying to know who's left and what's out there potentially on, you know, behind any corner or whatever. So I, I love this, but this is when Ripley stands up as being like the rational, calm by the book, like, like logical, responsible adult character in the film. And yeah. um, this is when she first really starts to spread her wings and separate herself as what should ultimately be the film's protagonist. And she is. So to, to ping pong off what you were just saying, um, this film, if you didn't see it when it came out, like see it in theaters or maybe shortly after that, this suffers from basically the same issue that Star Wars is where, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all grew up, I'm assuming we all grew up in the kind of the 90s, the early 2000s. Um, you already know this film, even if you'd never seen it before. You know about the right. facehugger. You know about the xenomorph. You know about the chest bursting scene. You might even know about kind of Ash and his his whole situation, which we'll delve into deeper. Right. And there's no way to escape that. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it, like I knew even as like a ten year old that oh, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad because I'd fucking heard that all yeah, for, from I mean, everybody yeah. in I mean, it's TV. Pop culture. It's pop it's culture. culture. Yeah. And could you imagine? Going to see this film in Not theaters knowing a damn thing. in 1979, knowing <laughs> it's rated R, knowing it's about space, and that's it. It would blow your fucking mind. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it es- would blow your chest. And especially by the time you get down to Ripley being the, you know, well, spoiler, the final girl. The final girl. Yeah, she's like, yeah. you know, the sole survivor. Um, and like, you already feel so unsafe in this movie is, mm, how do I say? It's like... I wouldn't say it's an exercise in tension. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But, like, the whole movie is tense up to that point, and then you get down to her, and it's like, I'm feeling for her. And, like, of course, man, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but, like, she's, like, finally stripped down out of her, like, work gear. She's, like, obviously in her, like, underwear and her, like, tank top. Iconic scenes from this movie. You're talking about when she's, like, in the actual... Um, But, like, 
and it's kind of like a classic horror trope as well. It's like that vulnerability, especially of a isolated woman. She, and it's kind of like the psycho thing, right? Like how much more vulnerable are you than when you're like naked alone in the shower? And it's like, once you get to that point and you realize, Oh shit, it's just Ripley left. And nobody knows who Sigourney Weaver. It's not like she's the top build actress actor in this movie. It's not like you're expecting her to be there the whole time through. And it, I don't know. I, that was just it's so good how it unfolds to me. Small a little side note on that. Um, there was some backlash about her being, you know, in her underwear in that scene, kind of as like a, you know, unnecessary. A, unnecessary. Where, according to trivia, like Sigourney wanted to be completely nude in that in that final scene because the alien is totally nude that, and they that, opted out of that. That would have been so much better and not even to have nudity, but I hated how much her underwear did not fit. It looked like it was taken <laughs> off of a fucking Barbie doll and squeezed on. Yeah, it was real, digging into her like like it came on and, and Kaya was immediately like, like, what the hell? That looks so painful. It's like digging into her, to her butt. She yeah. turns around and, and like two inches of her crack is out. It like, yep. it, it just doesn't fit. Well, no one's underwear fits in this <laughs> film because when they all wake up in hypersleep and you see um, Kane Holder is like the first one to kind of like wake up and also like not a bad looking guy back in the day, personal opinion. Um, everybody's kind of got like loose fitting boxer brief sort of some of them are more briefy some of them aren't and well as it i mean they're atrophied they've been in hypersleep they should have lost some body mass they well he stands up immediately were... <laughs> fair enough <laughs> which again like hypersleep wasn't a thing in 79 so you didn't have all these kind of more realistic um uh biological i don't know for sure yeah, you know, you get you get on laying down. I totally get what you. I think doing. I actually wrote mm-hmm. right here exercise intention. Um, <laughs> the face hugger. Oh man, the face hugger. I know we've already like kind of gushed over the face hugger a lot. Um, well deserved. Well, well deserved. But so much of the scenes where he's in the infirmary have no music behind them at all, mm-hmm. and you either hear nothing, or there's a very faint kind of heartbeat drum that's going mm-hmm. on is so good and and there are several jump scares in this film and that's not nothing wrong with having jump scares as long as the story calls for it and they're well executed mm-hmm. a lot of them have to do with jonesy the cat yeah so this there's very little things under my did not like column and the main one is that it was just okay to bring a cat on this they ship. smoking cigarettes i was like <laughs> Like, it didn't make sense how annoyed that made me. It was so much like, it's just, like, not safe. Um, are we supposed to assume that it was also in, like, one of the hypersleep things? Because no one would have been around to feed it. Okay. If they can put humans in hypersleep, they you can have a, a feeder or something, right? So the cat just, like, wanders around for, still, what, 20 what? months, essentially? And what <laughs> on a two-mile-long spaceship? Yeah, I mean, exactly, if there's, if which you know is insanely about cats, like, that's unsafe. Not, yeah, okay, it could have gotten hurt, could have gotten sick, didn't have vet checkups. So you, you're worried about matters. the health of a hypothetical cat. Yes. I was annoyed that, uh, that it was okay to be brought on that mission. But I do understand that Jonesy exists... So we can have moments when we hear something rummaging around and we well, think let's it's also talk alien about the psychology and it's Jonesy. Yeah. I get that. Also trying to like <laughs> corral the cat 
like it's very exactly. it's very realistic of it like running around and like trying to like fuck off and like not 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 doing what you wanted to do kind of thing. Yeah, just I would I would never the selfishness bring any of, of human cats. nature makes this cat's like inclusion in on the ship so easily digestible in my opinion. And he but, doesn't seem like that great of a cat. He kind of seems like a little fucker. He is, is a like, little fucker. He doesn't like if you brought any cat on this, wouldn't you bring like a dope ass cat? I don't well, know. You guys are looking at this completely wrong. I think for all we know, this, this cat Jonesy, is the only one that's smart enough to like try to protect itself. This like is true. this cat is in a extremely acute situation. This is not like the, the you're not viewing this cat under its normal circumstances. And I think for you to judge it based on the fact that there's like an alien resident on this ship and to try to like say that you understand this cat's personality is completely dismissing like the entirety of this cat's life leading up to the moment in which you were introduced to it. Yeah, <laughs> completely. I completely agree with Michael. Also, we don't know if this cat was a stray that that um, Ripley found like on the mining stowaway. colony. Maybe a stowaway. Um, if it was a Catherine. stray, she would not have gone back for it if she was so... Um, maybe it was like a Ripley. into like the quarantine maybe of like it was the Ash. actual human being. There's maybe no it was way that she before, went back for a stray cat. B- before they leave, bef- before they get on the ship at the mining colony, maybe. she finds the stray there. That's why I mean it's hypothetical. But realistically, the, you know, this cat is a predator, and the reason that uh, it doesn't get killed is you know alien versus predator. I mean that hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> That is true. That cat is predator. Is that does that the turn cat into is predator? a predator? No, I mean it's fine. I mean, yeah, you guys are wrong, but there's, there's no reason for to put that cat's life in danger. All of their lives are in danger, and shit. people That's are fine. incredibly selfish. They're smart enough to. That's what I'm saying. They shouldn't be. Yeah. Well. Um, also, Dallas is listening to like classical mu- or baroque music, I guess, in his uh, his captain's quarters, I guess, and I love. <laughs> It, it almost got silly after a while where Ash, the science director, is like, you have to come over here and see this. Like, what is this? Like, you just have to see it. It's like, that's a fucking horseshit answer. <laughs> like, like we, we have, a, like, a, you know, radio comms and stuff. You can't describe the patient or, like, what's going on. And it's a ploy to get them in there and everything. Yeah. Um, Which, God, they just walk right in there, right? They're they like, do. man, this thing that attached itself to nope. this guy's face that looks terrifying is now missing. I, I'm surprised... Three of them just walked in there, no suit, nothing. I'm surprised they wore gloves at all when they were doing <laughs> right. surgery. Like, no one's got, like, hazmat Which, suits or face masks. And, like, this is an alien creature. You don't know what... And they're, they were, like, worried about quarantine until everybody gets into the ship. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe whatever. it has, like, space polio. Dude, Who cares? the door was left wide open. This is true. Like, you can just see the mm-hmm. members of the crew, not even through the window, <laughs> but, like, through the bay door. Um, but one thing we should talk about about this uh, scene that we are going to skip over because we have so much left to get into, but it's uh, critical for establishing some of uh, what is to come, is when they are doing some testing on the yes. facehugger. Yeah. And they do oh, uh, cut it open uh, or, like, attempt to, like, cut into one of its fingers. Um, it's digits. It's, yeah, it starts to bleed, I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to describe it. But it's bleeding, like, this caustic acid that is like extremely volatile. It's like fluoric acid. It eats through like, like four four, like four levels <laughs> of steel and wiring. Um, and then he like gets some of it with like the end of a mechanical pencil. Yeah. And the pencil fi- and, and the pen was fine. Well, it's it's I guess it's, rubber I guess neutralizes it, was... it, you know, who knows. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but this obviously it sets up this splendid you dynamic it. where you don't yeah. you don't dare kill it. Yeah, oh, I mean, you can't. They, You're in fucking space. Well, that's the quote. You don't dare kill it. Well, right, but yeah. I'm saying for good reason. I mean, it, yeah, uh, that was a, not a lot of blood or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
to eat through that much. Like, right. And, and the creature is much smaller at this time, too. It is. Yeah, it was a much, great, much smaller. It was a great way to introduce the fact that it was going to be a difficult fight that they couldn't just fucking shoot it or stab or it or right stab now. It, squish it. Yeah, because it would destroy the ship. Ash also mentions that the, the face huggers, basically, its skin is constantly repairing its cells with like silicon dioxide, which is like a really hard substance. And so even puncturing it is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it goes into like how highly evolved it is. And it's it, later in the film, he calls it's it a, a perfect, perfect organism. A perfect yeah. organism. Um, so. But uh, but Kane seems to be all right, right? They get it well, it's off of his face for well, a, for a Ash, an hour? Ash is like, you gotta come see this. Just you just gotta come see it, and he's fine. Yeah. And and uh, they're searching around the infirmary, which has a lot of nooks and crannies, like a lot of nooks and crannies. I don't expect it to be like a totally smooth orb or anything, but Ash is like poking like flashlights into you know behind things and yeah. like into wiring yeah, and this shit. Area? Yeah. And he's clearly trying to freak them out, right? Uh, he's trying to like scare them during that scene. I don't know. I for me, I wasn't getting this, but I came in completely blind to Ash. So, all like, I actually went back and rewatched some of the. So this is one of the things that I. This is a movie where I feel like our new format has served us really well. Uh, we used to watch these movies the same night that we did the podcast, and now we're watching them a couple days before, doing some notes and having some time to revisit it. I actually like rewatched like the first half of this movie again, um, the next day because. It's so good. There's you can digest so much more of the character dynamics, and Ash's character has so much more depth after you know what we'll soon reveal. Um, and yeah, with that knowledge, definitely he's like trying to scare them, and there is a lot of like not so subtle hints. But they, I'm I'm telling you, if you watch it for the first time, they're a little more subtle than they appear later, and they are driven by human emotion and you can kind of understand it um but they're not perfect and i I think as soon as he lets the captain and them back up in the ship that he's so conniving in that aspect and the way he tries to play it off when when ripley calls him more so the way he tries to play it off and the fact that he lets him in as soon as that happens it's like there's not even a question this dude has ulterior motives and he's trying to save or protect this this alien creature at the cost of the crew like, uh, there's no question in my mind. But again, like, familiar pop culture, seen this film before. It's hard to separate those things for me. Um, but uh, they, you know, they kind of, like, get back, you know, Kane, or not Kane. Um, no, Kane, yeah, Kane. John Hurt is the actor. Kane's, mm-hmm. like, wakes up, and, and he's really hungry, and so they go into the, the galley and, and decide to start eating, and, and he's, like, mixing a salad up or something? He's got yeah, he's got like remember. salad tongs and he's like mixing a salad up and everyone's certainly isn't important grabbing for cocoa puffs <laughs> and smoking cigarettes and uh, he starts and he starts like choking, right? Yeah, that's that's what it appears to be. Yeah, asphyxiating. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. You did a good impression there, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's, something like that. He starts to get choked up uh, literally, but mm. um, you know, alarms the crew, obviously, um, and they're you know. A little on edge, just given the circumstances, and like also, just kind of let this creature face hugger like run rampant. Like I understand everybody's got to eat, but nobody's like standing watch. And I don't so, think I'd like, be able to eat. Oh, it's dead, right? So I guess. But um, so when they um, 
see him starting to choke, they all, you know, gather around and they're kind of making sure he's okay. And it, it escalates quite quickly. Like he's not okay. He's yeah. gagging. And I think they even, somebody instructs like Parker to throw a, uh, like a spoon or something in his mouth. So he won't like bite his tongue. Yeah. Like, a, like he's having a seizure essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then this is obviously, I would, I don't even think it's arguable. Like the most iconic scene of this film. Oh yeah. And oh, of one of the most in general. Yeah, of film all time. Uh-huh. I mean, this is up there with like Luke, I am your father type of you know scenes. But they put him down on the table in the mess hall, and they kind of gather around and they're like holding him down. Yeah, like, well, he's all the yeah. men are, are like like holding his arms and legs down. And this is the scene where most of the talent is unaware of what's going to happen, which is, it I, works I think out so well. All, all the actors, realistically, besides maybe um, uh, Kane. Kane, yeah. yeah John yeah. Hurt. Yeah. Uh, and, and also the scene when, when this movie came out, Kubrick called Ridley Scott and was like, how did you do that? How did you pull that off? Like, <laughs> I want to know. Um and and as for as iconic and amazing and disgusting as the scene is, and it's probably the most blood that we see, I think, in the entire film, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is the bloodiest scene. Yeah. When the when the baby xenomorph pops out of his chest and like runs away, it's a little goofy. No, there is two there's two parts in this movie that made me giggle that weren't supposed to and then that was one of them it gets up and just <laughs> runs across oh, the so table clearly like on a track you know <laughs> what i mean it's like one of the yeah. this is one of the few effects so okay so the the brilliance of this movie for me a lot of it is like that jaws approach like less of the monster you know what i mean they don't show yeah you don't so see much it for a very long more. time right and like even when you see it like this is probably like along with the face hugger, but the face hugger's just laying there. The face hugger's not doing anything. It's not really right. moving so much. And when they turn it over, like sure you can see it's like undercarriage and stuff, but it's not like moving so much. It doesn't have a face. This okay, so he's laying there, his everyone's expecting maybe something to come out of his mouth. They already know the face hugger's like had some impregnant like has Blood. already gone down its throat and like impregnated him in some fashion. Um and they're expecting maybe him to like vomit up like a egg or something i guess is kind of what i would right. imagine you might think but i have never had the opportunity to think that on my own because i knew what was going to happen before i ever saw the movie um <laughs> and then he's wearing a white shirt starts you know like he starts to bleed from his chest and then well, this initial little pop yeah there is, is when his, yeah. his white shirt gets sprayed with blood and, and then the next pop the big pop is you know this little xenomorph comes out and like real quick shout out space balls and no matter how many <laughs> times i see this i'm always thinking of like a michigan jay frog coming out of hello it's so good love melbourne well <laughs> and and this chestbert chestbert this chestbert scene is at minute 55 so this is uh halfway this is almost exactly the halfway point um, and again, like I, f- I felt like nothing was um, overdrawn out. Like I was so engaged at this point to this to the Chesper scene that it didn't even matter that the, we. I mean, we had like the attack in the ship, mm-hmm. you know. When, but you see that's like cut to black. But at the, this whole point, like you were saying earlier, that the first half of this movie is so fucking strong. It's perfectly paced. And it never feels overstuffed. And it, it never feels like it's lagging. It doesn't feel like you're getting these big exposition dumps. It doesn't feel like you're having to meet so many characters. It doesn't feel like the characters aren't being developed. It doesn't feel like the characters are taking up too much screen time. And like I said, at this point, you don't even know who the main no, protagonist you, is. It's you like, don't. It's you don't even so know everybody's name really. It's so so well paced. Um, so good. 
And, and I, I also like that the that the baby xenomorph is kind of like the beige like face hugger color mm-hmm. because it needs to like molt and you know yeah. kind of go through like its its life cycle, even though it does kind of like well, screech and run off on a track. What's it <laughs> called? What's the uh, outer layer? Uh, exoskeleton? No, I mean, what is the chemical compound? Or like oh, is it like silicon dioxide or yeah. whatever? So, yeah. like, it hasn't, yeah, it hasn't molted yet because, like... It hasn't reacted know, with the oxygen in the air. And, like, Geiger's, you know, biomechanical art and what ultimately becomes, like, the adult xenomorph. I mean, it's, like, it's almost, like, metallic. Even, like... Um, it's like obsidian. What's it called? It's, like, the the head biter? Is that what they call the thing? The it's second mouth? The, yeah, like, the mouth in the mouth. How much did you, like... <laughs> Two wet mouths for the price of one. Oh, man. That's the wettest mouth we've had. Mm, Pretty wet, man. There's like saliva and slime. Each tooth is like a faucet in that mouth. Yeah. It's like it's like St. Bernard levels It is of enough drool. where it's like, where is this coming from? Super phallic, too. It's another yeah. thing. Is like that thing is just so... Yeah, the inner mouth, just, just how it comes the, out. The shape of its head, the xenomorph's head. Like mm-hmm. alone, and it's so it is really wet. Like it is a wet mouth. Well, it's covered in KY jelly. <laughs> and and for a bipedal alien, it looks so non-human. Where up to this point, and even after this point, a lot of aliens just happen to be like bipedal creatures that look kind of weird. Yeah, right. Or like Bald a completely abstract, heads. unrelatable alien type of thing, which which does make sense. But like a lot of uh, film like uh reviews and criticism of this movie and like my own opinion and i don't know I, maybe you guys agree feel free to chime in but this is the best alien in cinema history as far mm-hmm. as concept and design like it's and it what's kind of crazy about that is like think about how much technology has advanced and like how many more tools there are at our disposal now in the medium of cinema and like i do not know that the xenomorph has been eclipsed. Like it is. What about Jar Jar? So good. All right, I recant my statement. Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm not near as a fan of. I mean, I like sci-fi, but I, I don't have the uh, the wealth of knowledge in the background to really speak to that. Um, but uh, but for a bipedal creature that's portrayed by a human actor, I actually I didn't write down his name. Uh, the actor who plays him, who's like seven feet tall. Uh, it is it is very alien, very animalistic um, mm-hmm. and creepy. And Predator is too, but Predator is basically it looks like a creature from Star Trek, where it, it has two legs, two arms, and a face, and it wears clothes and it uses weapons. Yeah, but yeah, Predator is way more human like. Um, but but I do yeah, I mean, like he has dreadlocks. <laughs> he does have yeah, dreadlocks. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Predator is is, is kind of just like a advanced human. I I do like that. Um, uh, Ash is like, no, 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 don't touch it when it pops out of the guy's chest, mm-hmm. just to save it. Because they're literally about to like smash it with a hammer or something, right? Um, then you get uh, Kane's barrel at sea. They like put him in a in a space coffin and shoot him out into into the space. Which I was a little funny too. It was a little funny, right? <laughs> and he's like twirling around. It's like not like just shot out. It's like like going in like a kind of gyroscopic. Um, and then you've got uh, you know Ash decides to make. He basically like this is another thing that's a problem with sci-fi and horror where anyone who is like a science person knows all science. Like oh, yeah. he's he's a doctor, he's an inventor, he's a biologist, he's a geologist. Like he could do it all. He's Ian <laughs> Holm. He can do it all. And he invents this weird thing that detects minute changes in air density, yeah. which they also call bullshit on like later in the film it's like, yeah, air density, my ass. <laughs> but if you're walking around with it, like just moving it around, like they shake their like arm in front of it, 
if you're with anybody else and you have that thing, like it's just going to go what off make, like yeah, a fire would, alarm. It makes no sense at all. Um, um, I want to say just one more quick little tidbit of info about the um, chest bursting scene, just because, and I thought this for a long time too, that I feel like it is a common misconception that um, that whole scene was filmed in, in one take and that's part of its brilliance, whatever. It actually took two takes and then the first take, the burst like wasn't strong enough and like the thing apparatus whatever like struggled and it didn't work and he decided to use some of that so when you see it kind of bulging in his stomach but not popping that's from the failed take and and he decided to keep that in to make it like more of a struggle which i think just added to it so much because it was supposed to be just like a real quick pop but instead we get the cool kind of body dysmorphia that yeah. ensues, oh, I, which is really great. I didn't know that, but an excellent and salient point about how just doing something one take is not really a good reason to like something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I did like the little kind of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Brett is looking for the cat and he's like meowing for Jonesy. <laughs> and then he comes across the molted like snake skin of, of the xenomorph. Yeah. And he's like, Ugh. and it's like, Maybe not full size. It's like maybe the size of like a small child, but like way bigger than the whatever mini chihuahua kind of size that pops out of uh, out of Kane's chest. Oh man, and you chest. see in the uh, in the director's cut or whatever, you see the xenomorph in that scene too. Um, oh yeah, in like the background, right? Yeah, he he's it's like curled up really tightly into like a ball and like hiding. Which I did. You guys um, watch the director's cut on this? I video? did not. No, I've, I've I've seen it before, but it's not. I didn't watch it. Yeah. For the last time, but I really wish they would have kept that in because I do remember it being a cool little like, kind of like hidden in in plain, plain view sight. type thing. He's, yeah. You know, he's right next to it and has no idea. I I did not like that Brett decided to like take a shower in that scene. He's like sticking his head up and there's water falling down. And he like sits and oh, while he's yes. looking for Jonesy. And he's like literally getting drenched for I don't know <laughs> like ten or fifteen seconds. Like I didn't understand that and it felt it took me out of the film for a minute. Hmm. I kind of agree with that. I do kind of remember being like, what is he doing? <laughs> He's like, he, he like sticks his head up and like kind of has it wash over his face. And then he puts but it down and just lets it like hat. rain like on his hat for a while. I think it's he like, even takes his hat off. What, too, what is going on? <laughs> um, then you see he finally finds Jonesy the cat and is like trying to get the cat. And the cat is hissing and, and has his hackles up. And you can see behind Brett, the xenomorph is like uncurling itself from the ceiling. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the first kill. And you don't even really see it happen. It, it, you know, most of this stuff with a xenomorph is off screen. Yeah. Well, like, like zoom into the mouth, um, lots of side angles, him, like it in the darkness. Veiled behind whatever, some like, fog which is, or whatever. Which is great. I mean. It makes it better, I think. Exactly. Like you don't want, I mean, like a full reveal is fine, but save it for you know sequels, the end or bigger budgets or sequels like you know what i mean right. like they squeezed every penny out of this and like Sam yeah. Winston, obviously hr geiger they had the talent there behind it to make it good but i don't think that it was i don't think it was a mistake that they they took the approach that they took not a lot of screen time for this and it also like nothing is as strong as your own mind you know what i mean and like you're so on the seat of your on the edge of your on seat. the seat of your edge yeah <laughs> on the edge of your seat during this is like uh, not seeing it was more scary for me how 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 enjoyable was the edging of this of this film big fan of edging there's nothing really else to say <laughs> so they 
they they they decide to uh um make up like four incinerator units They're like oh it'll take me a few minutes but i can you know kinda, they're flamethrowers yeah, well right? they um they yeah. learn that it's mostly traveling throughout the ship through the air vents mm-hmm. so they have the idea of lighting some incinerators and and using them to corral it to somewhere to they where they can shoot it out into space or at least quarantine it right? or at least yeah, with to the, an area that they can lock it down with the iris sphincter doors yeah yeah which, which were cool which were cool but also didn't close all the way there was like a like a one inch gap in all of them for whatever reason when they were closed which bothered me uh, for some reason i, guess I, I see what you mean because it's like like a door like that, it, it it would be made like that to keep out absolutely everything. It's like, like an it's an air vent. It's a yeah, fucking it's air like, vent. Like why would you do? It's like oh well, sorry. Also, were you when you first saw that door, Michael? Were you um, thinking or hoping um, of some kind of kill or violence with the door? Because even though I know it doesn't happen, I still like to imagine that thing closing up onto a body part or something. I mean, how great would it be if someone was gotten chased through that and? barely made it through and that thing took off an arm or something you know you know the answer to that <laughs> i mean of course i'm always like th- this film isn't overly violent it's not overly graphic everything on the camera is effective but like throw in one body chomp sphincter steel door it, it's a, I'm here get for a bigger it. thumbs up for me <laughs> <laughs> so dallas goes into the uh the air vents right mm-hmm and he's crouched down. He's he's like looking for it and everything, uh, and uh, eventually it's behind him, right? Yeah, yeah. So they have they're watching, they're monitoring it on the whatever a heartbeat monitor the, type the thing, ra- the radar machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, sonar machine, whatever. Yeah, they're like it should be right there. It's right on top of you. And Lambert's like freaking out about it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he gets killed. Uh, I I think they show off a, screen. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess it is off screen. Well, no, you get I to see. Well, I mean, he dies off screen, but it's the jump. Right. It yeah, is. you see him turn. So you, and it's the first time you see a full grown xenomorph, xenomorph, like up close. And it's too quick, and it's too dark, and it's you mm-hmm. know very instant. But you you get the sense that like, and, and actually Parker is great here because I believe it's right after this is maybe I'm one ahead, but he goes whatever it was, it's big. You know, what <laughs> I mean, like this thing is growing so fast like yeah it's a it's hours. than a huge yeah life cycle is yeah. yeah a few hours from uh baby to full ground at this point is when uh ripley goes into the mother chamber because she's now mm-hmm. captain uh because dallas is dead so and, is kane and so is kane and what is kane's position is he he's like Kirk's a, mate he's like the okay the second in command the second in command yeah um she goes in the mother and she also has kind of more knowledge of like how to um, program, I guess, and like what questions to ask. And that's obviously plot device. But she finds out about the special order 937 and, mm-hmm. and starts questioning mother on like what it is. And it's like, oh, you know, restricted, blah, blah, blah. And she does overrides and finds out that actually there's a secret order to find the organism and keep it alive and bring it back and the crew is expendable. And then boom, he's in the room with her. Ash. Ash. And he goes full mask off, right? And yeah. starts basically putting out his evil plan and, and well, locking have, her up and like with the... Yeah, they have the great um, 2001 A Space Odyssey moment where she even like turns in the hallway and looks at him and I 
even though I know what she says, it's like, you think she's going to say, open the pod bay doors, Hal. And yeah, she right. turns and looks at him and is like, open the door, Ash. Ash. Like, almost like same delivery of that mm-hmm. of that line, which which was like a great straight tribute to that scene, which which is great. So is this what is about to occur, the second point in the movie that made you laugh unintentionally? Oh, is um, it the rolled up magazine? No. This shit's stupid as fuck. That it's, shit was kind of stupid too. No, it's um, like really dumb. Why wouldn't you just strangle her? Right? He, he didn't know anybody. He wasn't programmed. He wasn't programmed to st- for strangulation. <laughs> All he knows <laughs> is... Uh, Everything else. I thought... <laughs> I actually forgot about this part in the film. I thought he was going to like smack her like a bad dog. You know, like why is he a rolled up magazine? That would have been more effective. No, he's trying to shove a rolled dog, magazine into, into her throat. Magazine, like with a hole in the center of it? Yeah. Yeah. Like that you could a breathe through? Yeah, like... I guess like uh, a blunt force trauma to the trachea. I don't really understand his whole idea with that, but it was gross and weird. <laughs> this this part it of the movie strange. was dumb, and I actually this took me out of it a little. Well, the whole confrontation or the well, reveal. No, just in, just the method that he uses. I think yes, okay. that. But also, it put me in a it put me in a bad state of mind. So that like when the reveal occurs, I, like honestly, I was like. Really, I, and I appreciated it more after I gave it time and let yeah. it breathe. And then, like when I went back and watched it again the next breathe. day, I was—that's funny. I was like, "Oh man, like, this is good," and I can't just, I can't just like shit on it. And I wanted to come to this uh, review with a little something to shit on this movie, just you know, to try to remain objective. But there's not, not a much. lot, man. This movie is really tight. Not a lot of filler. Uh, yeah, I have like three bullet points on things I did not like, and they're all the cat is the biggest thing. If this that tells this you anything, was my biggest thing. I thought you guys would like the major. cat more because oh, you're I both cat. cat people. I love you know? Jonesy. I mean, obviously, I love that there's a cat on screen, but the I, logistics of it don't line up. And also, it's kind of sad to think that they use a German Shepherd to um, on set to purposely scare the cat f- to make him act. It was the 70s. It was allowed to do that, <laughs> right? Um, I, I, but yeah, Parker and uh, and Lambert like show up and try to stop Ash, and and you, that's when you start getting yep. the feel that Ash is not human. Like he's yeah. really strong. He's using like a single arm to like throw them away, basically, while he's trying to slowly. And he's obviously force like, feed Sigourney he's Weaver like a magazine. He's the most senior member of the crew. Like he's not necessarily like a big, imposing, young, no, fit no. man. Like he is tossing these people around, and he's got to be in I don't know fifties. Let's just say fifties. Yeah, late forties, yeah. early fifties. But yeah. and, and, he's and he's not small. like. Overweight, but he's like, yeah, what, five, six, maybe? Yeah. He's not a big guy. Parker is like a fairly large or or, or definitely a, a larger man than he is. And you know, he and works a mechanic. with his hands. He's yeah, like a blue, he's like a blue yeah. collar guy. Yeah. Oh, and he, and he, yeah, he tosses him aside like it's um, nothing. And then, uh, and then Parker grabs a fire extinguisher. Love it. Love any sort of blunt force weaponry. And mm-hmm. I think I'm not alone in this. Oh, oh not amongst us, three of no, us. Knocks him, <laughs> knocks him in like the neck and then... I'm sure at the time it was unsettling, but it, this this part also made me laugh. Where Ian Home is kind of like interpretive dancing, sort of, and and like seizing mm, out before before he gets his head knocked off. Like it was a little goofy. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of flailing. Yeah. But but then, it seems more the mechanical than like human. Kind of. I don't know that that scene before he actually has his head knocked off. I just. It just looked like he was dancing to me. He was short. I feel like, yeah, no, I feel like, especially given the limited like knowledge that we have of technology at that point in time, I feel like that was what they're going for for sure. But I mean, 
I can buy into it. I can put myself, uh, I can immerse myself right. deep enough in that scene to like kind of get it. Like he is short circuiting. He is glitching. And mm-hmm. that is, that is not a natural or biological set of movements unless you are doing some weird interpretive mm-hmm. dance for the, but or for the sake of like being, or, or you're like a dervish spontaneous. <laughs> He lacked all the grace of the dervish. Come on. Uh, he was not turning his head around quick enough. Um, and then he does get his head knocked off almost. It's like he's hanging by like a, like not a thread, a couple wires. And it's like totally on the back of his neck and mm-hmm. finally, quote unquote, dies. Um, loses power. Loses power. And uh, and you see he's just full of milk. <laughs> yeah, that was the first I thing. He starts sweating milk. He is sweating milk because he gets knocked in the head, right? Right. Before he gets knocked in the neck and is right. doing the weird dervish thing. Because you're like, why the fuck is he sweating white like milk? Like whole milk. Yeah. Goat skim, milk. Skim milk. Goat milk. It's thick. And then you're like, Ash is a goddamn robot. Um, <laughs> I think is what Parker says, something like that. They plug him back in or like basically able to like solder a few wires together. <laughs> this was kind of goofy. Which, but, but I like it because they do the voice modulation. It's not over the top mm-hmm. and it seems to fit. And I, because this film is so big in pop culture and everything, there's a lot of memes about this film. And one particular one that I'm very familiar with, unsurprisingly, is where his face, you know, his head is kind of to the side of his body and he's like covered in milk. And it's just like, you know, it's like when you're waiting for him to get you the towel, essentially. Because <laughs> he is just like... I don't get it. You don't get it. Like a, like Can you explain a, that? Yeah, so he's covered in semen, essentially. It's all, you know, right, I thought they were in space. They're in a ship, though. Yeah. yeah. A shipment? Sh- a shipment of semen, yeah. yeah. Oh, come. Yeah, exactly. You, you got it. Splooch? You got it. Ooh. We'll edit that out. We don't need to. Mm-hmm. No, we won't. We have an adult, mature audience that has no qualms about come. being home covered in milk semen (laughs) good and i do like what i don't like but it's kind of funny how (laughs) i like well i dislike well it's Um, a perfect orgasm organism (laughs) organism the what his head looks like when it's the head that's going to be speaking versus the one just laying there is like night and day i mean it cuts there and it's like i mean the color is completely different like it's smaller like i feel like it's not as wet and then it camera comes back to when he is like plugged in again and speaking and it just looks so fucking different it's insane that's true um this is probably the i don't know this is the weakest part of the movie but it works well as a plot device but like visually this um doesn't hold up even more so than maybe the chest burst does you know morph because that's happened so quick and like there's quick camera pans and like it's off screen pretty quick but like we spend a decent amount of time here looking at uh, ashes a couple of minutes of that scene um, yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know this just it doesn't hold up as well this is like the only time in the in the movie where it feels like it's made in the 70s you i'm not saying you're wrong I don't necessarily agree with that, but you you need this. You don't necessarily need this scene, but you need something like this scene for the rest of the crew to buy into that. You know everything that's going on with or special order nine thirty seven is happening because hearing it from uh, Ripley would do the same thing. Well, I but said it was essential for the story. What I said was it doesn't look great. Okay, no, you're yeah, it looks seventies. No. Okay, yeah. a, I mean. It just didn't look great today. I just don't think they needed to um, like include the part where they kind of like put some wires back together and talk to him again because he doesn't really give any information that we don't already 
know from what she saw on the computer or that at this point we can just assume, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't, unless I um, miss something that he says, but I feel like he doesn't add a lot more to that either. That I feel like they kind of just should have left it. You get, you get what you already know, but you also get kind of him talking about how it's, you know, it's a perfect organism. And also like, I, I admire the purity of it essentially. Like yeah. it's more like kind it's of like waxing kind of poetically that, about, then, yeah. about the xenomorph where you're a robot and like, why do you even care? Yeah. Cause it, yeah. And there's another reason, like, like he's kind of playing off of human emotion by being like, Oh, I'm, I'm defeated. Like I might as well just tell them now. Or if or, it was a fucking cyborg, it would probably say nothing or would I, just, you know what I mean? I, I do. I got the, I got the feeling that it was more like once he'd been decapitated, it was more of a call and response. Like he's literally a p- computer program instead yeah. of like a thinking creature where if you typed into the command prompt, like, uh, yeah, what you do you want? You, you know, and you, he has to answer it essentially. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but, but, but neither of you guys are wrong about this where it is a kind of a weaker part of the film and um, it's not the best done of the practical effects and it, it does feel a little bit dated. Yeah. Um, but, but as soon as that shit happens, everyone's like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. We gotta get on the shuttle. And they're like, oh, yep. the shuttle doesn't carry four or five if you're counting Jonesy. Um, but, uh, they just start, they like, you need to get all the coolant canisters because we don't know how long we're going to be. They are throwing those canisters around. I mean, they're like trying to make noise with, it's like mm-hmm. a fucking stomp sear. Like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> what do you do? Like, just, just drag them out of the can of like, and throw them on the ground. Like what, what is going on? Lambert is, is freaking out. She's like hyperventilating she's this whole one, time. She's the one where, um, her eyes are pretty far apart, right? Is that Lambert? She's like the shorter haired. Yeah, she's okay. Yeah, yeah. Just she's the sure female who's them. not Ripley. Right. Just making sure. Uh, I think I think I wrote in my notes. Uh, she's throwing those cool canisters around. Jesus, she's made so much noise. I want to kill her. Um, <laughs> then you get the first like full body shot of the xenomorph, right? Like you've seen it before, but you don't really get like an extended shot where you can kind of see how it moves. And um, like the weird protrusions on its shoulders and its tail and everything, and of course you're fucking making a tub, a giant cacophony of canisters, and so the xenomorph's gonna come straight to you, and it is uh, got a shiny mirrored phallic head mm-hmm. and the double wet mouth dripping, and I think I don't double know double wet mouth d- like double wet mouth definitely that's a mixtape that's a mixtape yeah. hashtag chrome door hashtag double wet mouth. Um, you you get the scene where its tail is like curling up around her, and I don't know if this is in the director's cut because I haven't seen it or it was just planned, but it's kind of implied that maybe the alien like rapes her essentially. It feels like it a little bit. I think that there's a lot I of this. I don't remember that. <laughs> there's a lot of this movie that is suggestive in that manner. Like I said, there is an like unsettling sense of violation in this movie throughout, and um, yeah, I mean it fits. That that specific scene because it's you see it like tail clinging around like her her ankle and stuff like moving it, up moving yeah. up and I and I think that might have been part of the storyboard I don't think it was ever put onto film. Um, then you get another great trope which probably existed before this film but is so iconic and such a big part of this movie, the self destruct sequence. Yes, dude, wasn't that badass? Did you not like it? Yeah, or I mean, what part of it? All of it, like like her having to like open up the hatch and like pull all these 
like uranium yeah. rod things out, and you've got the klaxon going off, and you've got the the timer countdown, like all this shit. Yeah, I mean, I definitely appreciated that it wasn't just one button, like it is in mm-hmm. so many movies. So like, oh, hit the red hold button, on, boom, okay, done. And then the the strobe lights going off, which yeah, that uh, part was like. It's unsettling. It hurt to watch, right? (laughs) I was like, was there an epileptic, like, or epilepsy warning for this? this? Probably not. It was 79, so people just thought people with epilepsy were were cursed by God or something. Yeah, but it's. Also, this is like a really good juxtaposition to the opening sequence of the movie because, like, when you are at this point in the film, she's running to the escape pod. And you're essentially recreating the opening sequences of the film where you're traveling through like the bridge and the bay, the mess hall. You're going through all of this. In the beginning of the movie, it is very calm, very serene. You got a me- like a mellow ambient score. Um, they're in hypersleep. Yeah, still. there's a lot mm-hmm. of like clarinet and like strings. They're really soft. Right, and like you are, it's almost shot for shot. Except now you have the Cophony, as you referred to it earlier, of calamity and all of the steam the and and the um, and you know the strobe lights and she's the sweaty, and everything. sweating, wide-eyed. Yes, and it's all like it just tells the narrative of where we've gotten to in the movie because you should be sweating just like Ripley at this point in the movie because. You don't know where the fuck this thing is, you know? And she's apprehensive to turn every corner. Like, she's like, oh, shit. If I can just make it to the escape pod, I'll be safe, which is also brilliant. You know, this was, this was a good scene, and I think maybe my inability to appreciate it in the moment, and not that I didn't appreciate it, but, like, I could have appreciated it more if I hadn't seen it done so many times since this movie has come out. Um, but if you just take it for what it is and judge it on face value... Um, it was a great scene and it also, it plays itself out so well in the medium of cinema because of all the added sensory effects that you get when you immediately compare it to the beginning of the movie. Like it it does a lot to set the tone and the music is so good here. It is. This Mm -hmm. is, this is a really a great scene for film. I think I agree. And, uh, uh, she, she drops Jonesy in the cat carrier when she spies the alien across, you know, across the, or not across, like over the corner. Yeah. Did you expect the cat to die? Get eaten up by the alien? No. No. I, I mean, may, if I could go back to whenever my very first viewing of this movie is maybe, like, did you think that was going to happen? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, she, she sees the alien you know, slowly, slowly backs away. And luckily, like, there's a giant klaxon alarm going off, so she's kind of, you know, hidden and every stealth from that. Goes back, tries to shut down the self-destruct sequence mm-hmm. and can't, can't do it, man. Uh, he, she, she does it, like, within a few seconds, and Mother is a bitch. And yep. is like, nope, too bad. You got five <laughs> You got five minutes left. Get out. Um, so she does. She, she, she does then run back to the shuttle, very similar. Doesn't qu- take quite as long for her to get back, but she's also it's still strobe lights are going on, alarms are going off. Um, she's freaking out. She's wide eyed. She's looking around every corner. She gets to the shuttle. She closes it. She's got Jonesy in the cat carrier. Mm-hmm. She starts booting everything up, and the countdown is still going on. You know, over the loudspeaker, and she's flying away, and you're like waiting for the thing to explode. And she finally like, kind of gets out of range, and 
very much like the Death Star exploding, right? It's like yeah. a mass, like a supernova. Mm-hmm. And her, I, I think there, am I, am I imagining this? Was there like a like a shock wave, like a seismic shock wave that she experiences or not? Um, I don't remember. I feel like if there is one, it's not very significant, even though it would have been. Because I mean, like I yeah. mean, that ship had what was it, twenty million tons of, and it had oh. to, it would have had to been plus um, all the all, all the fuel you would need to like push this for like whatever oh, twenty man. months of space travel and yeah, it's like a mile and a half, two miles long. Like imagine like an uh, like an oil rig exploding in space. That's basically what yeah. they're on, right? Yeah. And then she says, "I got you, you son of a bitch." Looking back at the explosion, so, but she didn't. So but she, she th- fucking didn't. So she, she didn't. thinks. Uh, she does she turn and see it? Is that what it is? No, she starts uh, you know settling in. Yeah, she's right. like takes all, like finally oh, she's, starting she's to like, relax she, a little bit. She's got her underwear hanging down halfway and her crack exposed <laughs> and everything. And she's, oh yeah, this, yeah, this yeah, is, yeah, 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 and is like kind of whatever turning knobs and like setting things and like taking stock of stuff. And then the alien is like buried like in uh, in, in the, the wiring and the like dark the tubing yeah, horizontal. Well, and also, crevice. like, his shape, you know, he's got, like, hard edges and, like, kind of hard edges at the end of a round body, like, when you look at his head, and he's all coiled up, and mm-hmm. he's kind of looks, I mean, it's not he, an accident, he looks like part of the ship, and uh, a, a hand just reaches out at her, is mm-hmm. how she realizes that she's not alone, and now she's on this escape pod, like, she has nowhere the to shuttle. run. Yeah. And he, uh, he um, I mean, the alien almost seems vulnerable at this point too right like it's kind of like out of it yeah he seems tired <laughs> um and and he's not in a physical position of of power he's like kind of laid down and i don't, I don't know if, if he was supposed to or not but it, it, it he seemed more human-like at this moment mm-hmm. to me vulnerable um but yeah she's definitely not happy to see him um she quickly hops into a little closet thingy that's got like a suit in it um and she slips into that and then uh she's got a plan yeah yeah no she (laughs) grabs she grabs a harpoon gun and uh basically like has her her i don't know her finger but she's like she's got the airlock ready right yeah and is just waiting for it to to kind of step out and and be like have a clear shot yeah. And then Well she uses like the the gas. Doesn't she do like a she like blows like a gas line at him or something? Uh y- yes. To get I think him so. to move. Right, to like kind of attract him. Yeah. And to then, get him out of the s- safe ish position that he's in. Right. To where he's even more vulnerable being out in the open. And then she like blows the airlock and it gets sucked out and is like clawing, you know, inside and then she like Fires the harpoon gun and and yeah. Gets so this was actually when I said two parts that this made me giggle. This one. was one of them when he's outside and he attached like bumps that into and he it. Yeah, kinda, it's a little goofy. He just kind of bumps into the side of it. Just not how <laughs> physics works. No, no, he would just be flying off into space <laughs> just like that fucking barrel at sea of Cain. Yeah, like, and he's so stiff too. <laughs> um, and then then boom, yeah. Uh, Ridley kind of debriefs over. The calm as the mm-hmm. final, you know, the, the the last survivor of the Nostromo, and uh, assumingly she did, she goes back to hypersleep with with Jonesy, right? She puts Jonesy yep, like she in puts one Jonesy of them. Jonesy in a thing, and yep. which answers your earlier question? 
You can yeah, you can put see, a cat um, there. Yeah, but yeah, no, it doesn't. We don't. Uh, we won't talk about the cat anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's really that's the that's it. That's that's pretty much it. That's the movie. Uh, and then of course there were multiple multiple sequels. Uh, it's a massive franchise. Video games. Video comic games, books, comic books, every, graphic novels. Everything. There's a there's an RPG game based off of this too that I've played. Like a tabletop game. Yeah, maybe. like a tabletop. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. you roll dice and shit. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it it takes a lot from the Prometheus too because obviously that fleshes out like the lore and stuff. Yeah. But um, overall, like you know, opinions, thoughts, comments, ratings, if you want. Um, yeah. So this this was one of the first ones that we like. This will probably be the first podcast that we all liked the movie. And I did try to write down things that I did not like about it, which was relatively difficult. I mean, like I said, I only have a few kind of nitpicky things that bothered me that didn't need to or whatever but i mean that yeah like the i mean the cinematography the sound i mean i can't really add anything that we haven't said already this movie's absolutely fantastic definitely a must watch um i probably give it a 90 get a 90 out of 100 this is a great movie do you think texas chainsaw massacre is two points better than this film um yeah i do okay this also to me this is a sci-fi thriller and i mean at this point we're we're splitting hairs but this isn't a full horror movie to me and when i'm judging horror movies a lot of it is how scared nervous whatever does it like appeal to me and texas chainsaw massacre is definitely a better is a better film like a more well-made film that do we have time to get into this? We don't. We definitely <laughs> don't. don't. I think we need to pass the mic there. Um, I, I would put Texas Chainsaw Massacre is is slightly better to me, and a part of that is, is rewatchability too. Um, I mean, I've seen Alien multiple times, and this won't be the last time, but I could I would easily watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre once a year and be very content with this. It's like I probably wouldn't want to do this again for another three or four years. Mm. But amazing movie. Watch it if you haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, for me, it's, I mean, we've talked a lot about this movie. This has ended up being a, a pretty long episode, but I think that there's a lot of this movie to digest and talk about, and so much of it is that it's such a good film, like, and it's a good film, okay? And, like, before I get to my rating, like, maybe my I have a preference towards the type of film that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, mm-hmm. um, but this is a better utilization of the medium this is a really good movie um i love everything that's unsaid in the movie i love that like weird i I love that this movie tries and succeeds i think especially in the 70s america to make like men uncomfortable and i think that is a horror trope that needs to be explored more and this does a really good job of it like all of the like i mean i at the risk of sounding bigoted I, I don't know how else to put this but it's like um this kind of like homoerotic male penetration uh, impregnation phallic sensationalization that happens in this movie um i read a quote from o'bannon that said that like it was 
explicit and intentional and he wanted the men in the audience to cross their legs in fear which i think is just such an interesting way of like painting fear uh amongst your audience and i like that and having a strong woman uh end up being like the sole survivor and the protagonist and ultimately the one to kill off the xenomorph like there's so much social commentary that you could take from this but then you could also just look at it from like the like uh, being a sci-fi thriller horror movie and just how well constructed it was and how good the characters are and how tight the story is delivered and that's also amazing and then you could look at it from the other aspect of like everything else in terms of sound editing set design character design concept design and like all of that is incredibly tight and well made too i mean this is just a really really good film it's you know, in the National Film Library, it is critically adored. It holds up to the test of time. It has every accolade under the sun. Like, what can I say? You know, I, one thing is like this movie, I think, not to take anything away from the actors involved, but like, man, because of all those things that we talked about, because the story is so well written and because you have all of those emotional uh, elements in the story, you could have plugged and played like your local high school theater company into this and still came out with a good movie. I don't know if it would have been quite alien as we know it today, but with everything else, this package is like, I mean, fuck man, this movie had it all. And you could have literally put like first time actors in here and gotten up pretty close to the same results, just based on lighting, just based on cinematography, just based on set design. And it still would have been a classic. It would have been great. This movie is really good. Uh, 93 out of 100. Okay. No, I, I, I'm, I don't want to echo too much of what you guys have already said because I agree with you on most of those points. Uh, I will disagree with you on the, on the acting. I think you are, you are criminal to Ian Holm. And, well, and, that didn't criticize him. I said that, 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 that he was that, great. That, and if you, you that could if replace you, him in the movie, it would still be very good. It would good. still be a classic is what you said. It would. It would not. I it, it would it would not. I agree with that. And let me just get w one quick point about that. It doesn't really matter. But he, how do I phrase this without disrespecting my boy? Um, obviously, he was great. But for so much of it, I mean, he just kept a straight face and delivered lines because he didn't have to show emotion for pretty much the whole movie because he's playing a cyborg. And I feel like that is the hardest thing for actors to do is to really, you know, have the emotion of their character and have it come across the screen. So not saying it was an easy role and that he didn't kill it like he did, but I, I think you could put a lot of actors in that and the movie would have been just as good. The movie would have been good. The movie would not be what it is. Um, I also think, and this is much in line with what you guys are saying that so much of this film is unsettling on a, on a, primal like biological level and and a lot of that comes down to the the creature design of from hr geiger and also uh, what you're talking about about how you know the, the the male impregnation and like how this is so like it just gives you the heebie-jeebies like it, mm -hmm. it it gets under your skin and um that's part of the staying power of this film is how <laughs> i hate how i said this again how alien the alien is and and how it doesn't matter who you are. Like this thing is a perfect organism. It's a perfect killing machine. Its life cycle is a parasite. Like all this stuff is just kind of it just really hooks onto your psyche. And I I, I don't have anything else to add. That that this is a fantastic film. And this is one of those horror films because it is a horror film. It is horrifying in 
the the very basic nature of the of the word. Um, it's a horror film that's set in space. Yeah. And uh, this is one of those sacrosanct films, much like Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that uh, you're not really allowed to badmouth. And I think it's really hard. Like we did, we did. There we had we had issues. We had points that you know were goofy or funny or off-putting or took you out of the film, whatever. Maybe just didn't age well. You know, but most of it. Was, I think it aged perfectly well. Actually, oh, I'm just saying. Well, I'm just saying, like some of the parts, of like yeah, the, the, the biggest issues I had with it, if I would have saw it on yeah. opening night in 1979, would have been highlights because it would have been something I'd never seen before. Exactly, but it, be, for being like a 45 year old film, yeah, almost, I can't hold that against it. It's, just absolutely, because, you know. it's 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 a it's a very small a very small um, knock against it, and I think uh, that a lot of people, not just horror film fans, think of this as a perfect film. And I think that's going a bit far, but it's not going that far from saying it's a perfect film. So what, a hard six from you? <laughs> no, well, I'll give you a hard six. <laughs> um, no, no, this this is this is a nine. This is definitely a nine out of ten. This is yeah. maybe a maybe a strong nine. I don't know. Like I, but again, it's it's. I hate going last in the scoring too, because I feel like I have to kind of not play off of what you guys have said, but it 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 influences me. So yeah, this is this is definitely a, at least a solid nine out of ten for me. Um, uh, I don't think it's quite as rewatchable, maybe, and part of it is the length, and part of it's attention. Um, but again, like I wouldn't want to eat uh, a fancy steak dinner every night. It would get boring. It would. It's a lot to digest, uh, and this film is very much like that. It's something that's kind of a special occasion. It's something that I think from now on I probably will try to watch on a yearly basis, at least for the month of October. Um, and I'm glad we did it. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was great. I really enjoyed it. Solid pick. So definitely, if you have, if you've seen this movie, you haven't seen this movie, watch this film. Yeah, revisit it if you yeah whatever. Just get it in front of your eyes again and just accept it for what it is and, uh, and let it hug your face. Accept mm-hmm. it. And uh, next week we have I think Bill's on deck. Uh yeah, and I am ready. Are you guys ready to hear my pick? What's old boy's name? Um, are you serious? My name is Bill. Anyway, we are doing John Carpenter's 1982 classic, The Thing. What do we think? Man, damn, that's so good. This is probably the, I don't know, this is the weakest. Wow, okay, so uh, some different opinions there. Um, what do we think of John Carpenter? You know, he's a perfect organism. So, uh, once again, thank you, Elmers, for listening to us bullshit about a movie you've probably already seen and giving you the hottest takes <laughs> on the th- on YouTube. <laughs> and Spotify. And with and that, Google Play. And you can catch us on uh, iHeartRadio. Instagram. No, uh, Channel 4. Um, Channel, Channel 1. Pirate Radio. Channel 1. If you're in high school in middle America right now, you'll be catching this episode on Monday we'll morning. On yeah, we'll be there. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, Elmers. Good night. Sleep tight. Thirteen.